0: Welcome to Heavy Networking, the flagship podcast from the Packet Pushers. Find out more about our free resources for IT professionals who want to be the smartest in the room, all at packetpushers.net. Our topic today is SD-WAN monitoring at massive scale. Well, what do I mean by that? If back in the day you monitored the underlay, the physical circuits that made up your wide area network, today you have likely deployed a software-defined WAN on top of that underlay, the overlay. You need to monitor that overlay as well. Overlays are made up of tunnels and often those tunnels are deployed as a full or a partial mesh and you end up with a lot more endpoints to monitor than if you were concerned with just the underlay. For an SD-WAN of size, you could end up monitoring tens of thousands of endpoints. You could even exceed a million elements in total, which, if you've ever built a monitoring platform, you know is a massive resource challenge our sponsor today is broadcom broadcom might be most well known to you for the chips they put into network switches but broadcom has a wide array of other products and services they offer including massively scalable network monitoring tools our guests are jeremy rossback chief technical evangelist and eric custer senior product line manager both at broadcom we're going to dig into a case study broadcom did with one of their customers a global i.t infrastructure provider with forty-four hundred of their own customers and they use broadcom products to monitor that infrastructure. Uh, Jeremy, let's start the conversation with kind of some some general overview of where we're at with SD-WAN deployments and the industry. And uh, I'm curious, Jeremy, what level of penetration has SD-WAN seen at this point? Did, would you guess, I don't know, half of all WANs are running an SD-WAN overlay at this point, more or less? Well, to be honest, surprisingly, that number is much, much larger.
1: I'm looking at recent analyst research on SD-WAN and observability from Enterprise Management Associates, and uh, the latest report shows that over 90% of uh, customers that responded to the survey are in the process of or have fully implemented SD-WAN. So the numbers are huge. Uh, every customer that we talk to has questions about SD-WAN, whatever, that, wherever they are in that implementation cycle, but it is the hottest software-defined technology being deployed out there today, I think.
0: I'm not surprised that you you think of it as the hottest SD WAN or uh, software defined technology. Yeah, I agree with that. But that question I wrote came in part because I attended a tech event. It was just a year ago, I think, a summer ago, and one of the topics at that uh, local tech summit and kind of a regional uh, event. What is SD WAN? What can it do for me? And so I was wondering, you know, just what the penetration was uh, as as we're going on out there. So for you, I mean, maybe in the last year, everybody's picked it up that was trying to figure it out a year ago, and so we're getting there.
1: Well, I'll be honest. I think those what is SD-WAN types of topics are still desperately needed because what we're finding is while folks are rushing to get on the SD-WAN bandwagon, they may not have 100% comprehension of everything about the technology. So they're finding it more complicated than what the vendors say it's going to be, and it comes with a lot of headaches and challenges, and... You know, that's why we're talking about what we're talking about today.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, with all the SD-WAN deployments that you've uh, maybe have some insights into, Jeremy, considering what your role is at Broadcom, well, well, give me a range of the SD-WAN sizes you're seeing out there, like like a typical number of uh, offices or maybe uh, also circuits per office. Mm-hmm. So
1: uh, Broadcom works with, uh, you know, the Fortune 500, large companies, uh, massive amount of network infrastructure. It is not surprising to talk to a customer, uh, another financial services company um, in the US that is looking at 300,000 plus tunnels uh, that they're creating, thousands of branch offices that they're trying to connect to. God knows the millions of metric and applications uh, that they're looking to manage with that SD-WAN. So the sizes we're seeing are very, very large. And, you know, One of the benefits of SD-WAN that is claimed is cost reduction. So if you have a dedicated MPLS circuit to thousands of offices and, you know, you can see why folks are jumping on that bandwagon to try to save some money on their WAN out there. So pretty big implementations we're seeing.
2: One of the things that we've seen SD-WAN vendors claim is that there's a lot of small deployments, but not a lot of large deployments. But what you're indicating here is you have lots of customers with large deployments who've got big problems to solve.
1: Yeah, I would definitely disagree with that vendor statement that mm. you said. You know, a lot of our Broadcom supports a lot of telecom, MSP, large financial healthcare, et cetera. They're all talking SD WAN. Now, listen, maybe mm. a smaller company we have worked with will outsource their SD WAN management and monitoring to an MSP. But again, that yeah. MSP yeah. is monitoring dozens of SD WAN implementations for dozens of customers. I'd love for my uh counterpart here, Eric Custer, to jump in and talk about some of the large deployments that he has managed uh, in recent years, Eric?
3: Yeah, so you talk about the scale and size of an SD-WAN environment, and a lot of companies are gonna make the mistake of saying, well, we have X number of SD-WAN edge routers or X number of sites. And really you hit on it, Jeremy, whenever you're looking at the number of models you have to monitor for SD-WAN monitoring, um, let's do an example. for: If we have a hundred sites that each site has two SD-WAN routers, and if they're in a full mesh environment, in, in order to get the scale of that environment, you almost have to take, a, again, talking about a full mesh, you would take 100 sites, each site with two routers, that's 200 edge routers, in a full mesh. So now you got 200 times 200, which means you have 40,000 tunnels to monitor. That's mm-hmm. 40,000 models for scale. Now I'll throw something on top of that in that you also have SLAs, the SD-WAN SLAs to monitor. And for like Viptela, there are four SLAs per tunnel or up to four. So again, you have 40,000 tunnels, and now you're going to throw SLAs on top of it. So you, four SLAs per tunnel, now you're at 160,000 SLAs you're monitoring. So and you that's just the, for
2: 200 sites.
3: And that's just for 200 sites.
2: <laughs> right? So the scale problem is relative, right? So... You might think yes. you're a small network at 200 sites on an SD WAN or 200 edge nodes on an SD WAN, but as a matter of, when it comes to doing the monitoring, it, that suddenly ramps out of control in terms of the number of variables you're monitoring, the number of the data set that you're collecting and attempting to make sense of.
3: Right, right. Because for each tunnel and each SLA, you're monitoring packet loss, you're you're monitoring latency, mm-hmm. you're monitoring jitter, you're 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 monitoring up and down status. So, you know, there's a whole lot of elements now. So your monitoring system, if you haven't taken that into consideration before you deployed SD-WAN, I think, I think you're going to be surprised as, as to what kind of capacity it's going to take.
2: Afterwards, right? <laughs> because you're going to find out that you've now got to monitor the underlay, which is the internet pipes themselves. That, and now you've got to monitor the overlay networks. And then each one of those overlays forms a mesh. It's usually a full mesh for most of them. Partial meshes are possible, but... You know, you've got to monitor, and then each one of those overlays has its own variables and data to be collected. It's get, it just gets out of hand really quickly.
1: You just added another monitoring tool for the overlay, right? And because you have one for the underlay already, so now you've added an additional monitoring tool for the overlay. Mm-hmm. And you know, the complexity, like Eric said, the complexity of jumping into the SD-WAN uh, deep end of the pool can be a lot for a lot of our customers that haven't uh, taken monitoring into consideration before the purchase.
3: And the real benefit here is to be able to bring together the overlay and the underlay because you're not going to be able to monitor your environment just on the overlay. That 160,000 SLAs, you're going to have to have that underlay as well. And at the same time, if all you have is a a product to just monitor the underlay, you're going to be shocked whenever you deploy SD-WAN and you're trying to do this from the SD-WAN controller. It's Mm. going to be tough. It's going to be labor intensive and you're going to miss stuff.
0: Now the, the when we do these sort of things uh, in in the olden days of monitoring, we'd build some kind of a dependency tree, at least if the tool gave us that ability. So that if say an underlay circuit goes down and it impacts uh, dozens, hundreds, thousands of tunnels, you don't have you know hundreds of thousands of red alerts that are going off because of all these tunnels that failed, it all would get collapsed down into into the underlay. We're we're still very much able to do that, I would assume, in these environments, right?
3: We are, but the the other point that's important you just brought up is SD-WAN is going to bring a lot of noise to your environment, a lot of noise to your monitoring environment. Because again, for 40,000 tunnels and 160,000 SLAs, let's say just 1% of them are not functioning or performing as, as you would like. I, I mean, right there, you're you're talking about hundreds of red indications on your environment at all times. So so again, you really have to focus strategically, focus your monitoring and your thresholding on elements of your SD-WAN environment that's important to you. Because if, if you're trying to look at the entire thing, the entire thing may not be important. You know, that site in Washington, D.C. that's talking to that site in the Philippines may not be an important tunnel. So you, you really don't want to focus on that. But that tunnel gets existed by the very nature of SD-WAN.
0: Okay. Now you, men- you mentioned full mesh deployments. Is that is it really that typical? Because to me, if, as a network engineer, one of the constraints I might decide to build in is go, well, why full mesh though? Do all these sites really need to talk to each other directly? For the most part, maybe they don't. I mean, back in the day with DMVPN, you'd make that decision. Do I really want full mesh or is hub and spoke good enough? Or maybe a partial mesh to uh, deal with those certain situations, You know, maybe you know, multiple hub sites or something like that. I mean, is full mesh really that common?
3: From my experience, what happened for the healthcare industry where I worked at prior to becoming our product manager as a network engineer and setting up the monitoring system, what what happens when a large environment like that is setting up an SD-WAN integration, they ask themselves the question, what sites are communicating to what sites? And they have difficulties answering that question. Yeah, and, yes. and because they have difficulties answering that question of my hundred plus or thousand plus sites, Who is talking to whom? If they don't have a good answer for that question, they believe the shortcut is let's just do a full mesh or, or even a partial mesh. You know, like some sites, you know, only need to talk to data centers. You know, so for those small sites, you'll do a a star topology for your larger sites. You may do a full mesh because a lot of companies aren't going to know. What site needs to talk to what site?
0: Well, the answer to the question, what site needs to talk to what site, used to be dependent on, do you have a voice over IP deployment? If you do, and you're trying to minimize latency and jitter and all that stuff, you'd build a full mesh to support that. But it was pretty rare that there were other... I mean, if you kn- knew exactly where all your applications were housed, then you could kind of assume, ah, hub and spoke is going to be good enough. It, it, it was VoIP that drove that. And that's something else I have uh, don't have a strong opinion on is... Uh, where is VoIP these days if that's widely deployed in a lot of organizations or if those are starting to get you know, faded out in the, in the face of modern communications with everyone got a phone in their pocket and so on?
3: No, not at all, because you have distributed call centers, especially with this work from home thing that occurred during the pandemic where, you know, voice over IP was critical. And it still is. For example, the environment that I recently worked on, we used MPLS circuits with SD-WAN to carry the voice traffic. The data traffic would typically be carried by a broadband or Internet circuit. So each site would have at least two circuits, a, a broadband circuit to carry your data and an MPLS circuit to carry the voice. And if there was a failure, say, of the MPLS circuit, that voice would fail over to the broadband circuit. And and again, SD-WAN is not going to call you up and say, hey, your MPLS circuit just failed. We're moving the traffic or it's not performing well. We're moving the traffic to broadband. But with the proper monitoring solution and with the proper instrumentation, you will know that immediately when that occurs so that you know that, hey, that call center is going to have voice issues if we don't get that MPLS restored
0: i want to dig into this example this is this is interesting um so you said something that was an architecture i haven't heard many people deploying these days so if part of the SD WAN value proposition is to save money by retiring your private mpls and moving over to one or more broadband as in bandwidth fixes all problems even if the quote-unquote quality of that broadband isn't as good as mpls supposedly then um you know, you run your voice over the broadband circuits, and if you get a little hiccup now and again, eh, it's okay. It's bar for the course. It's worth the money that we're saving. So you're in you're in the monitoring world, Eric, and you see a lot of data coming through. Um, when you're seeing monitoring of MPLS circuits, the private, guaranteed, robust, gold standard, supposedly circuits coming from our providers versus broadband, are the MPLS circuits typically? that much better in quality and and what kind of metrics would give you an opinion one way or the other
3: I do see a substantial benefit in MPLS over broadband circuit my experience you know we have different thresholding criteria for broadband versus MPLS because MPLS is still superior to broadband let's face it MPLS provides end-to-end protection or enforcement of traffic Where broadband, you know, you're pretty much thrown in. Once it leaves your SD-WAN router, you're thrown into the pipeline with everybody else. But also keep in mind that um, a lot of companies are doing a managed service with MPLS. And then there's MPLS, where it's not really a fully managed service, which is cheaper. What we did in my previous life was um, we ran MPLS, again, for for voice. And some critical applications might have gone through MPLS, but the bulk of the traffic was going to the cheap broadband. That meant we had a lot less bandwidth we had to pay for for MPLS. Hmm. It also meant that we could still protect that voice traffic, especially if your organization is dealing with customers and phone calls and that sort. You're, you're going to want that. That traffic is money. Hmm.
0: Now, when you say protect that, I assume you mean, let's tag that uh, traffic with some kind of a DSCP value that's meaningful to the provider, the provider's going to see that, and you're paying them to, quote unquote, protect it, to give it a, a prioritized ride across the infrastructure end-to-end?
3: That's correct, yes, yeah. which you will not get with a broadband circuit.
0: No, well, of course, right, there's no such thing as as QoS over the internet, there's no prioritized service, It's right. all it's all best effort. But the the, you know, the irony of that is, and just just a a point a, a counterpoint, uh, Eric, is that we've gotten reports from different people who've deployed SD WAN, and in their monitoring, they have found that MPLS occasionally performs worse than broadband. All depending on the provider, what region they're in, what cities the traffic is going through, uh, etc. You know that kind of stuff. Now I can't say it was like this very scientific series of studies we did and we know that the traffic was or wasn't tagged and that the provider was or wasn't prioritizing it etc um so to hear but so to hear that there's still some interesting use case for mpls out there is uh is interesting because as you say of course you can't get that on the internet if that's very important to you
3: well, well the other thing i would say is before we went to sdwan we did have a, a well instrumented monitoring solution and we were running um, IPSLAs from our remote core switches back to the data centers to a responder. So we actually had good visibility both before and after SD-WAN using the exact same IPSLAs with the only difference being the legacy MPLS versus the new SD-WAN. And I could tell you that my experience with that transition was that those IPSLAs that were set up on those remote core switches did not perform as well under SD-WAN as they did under MPLS.
0: Okay, fair enough, yeah.
3: But I, I would recommend that for anybody getting ready to move to SD-WAN, go ahead and strategically set up IPSLAs from your remote switches in your your environment and, and point them to a responder at some central point like a data center and start collecting statistics before you make that transition so that when your leadership asks you, how is SD-WAN comparing to how it was, you can give them some apples to apples comparison about how SD-WAN is performing.
0: Another point you made earlier, Eric, that I wanted to go back to, you were talking about SD-WAN platforms and that they have built-in monitoring capabilities. And in fact, Greg, as you and I were talking to everybody that was in the SD-WAN world, putting products out there, that was one of the things they touted. We can do reporting, we can tell you exactly what's going on, you know, single pane of glass, uh, compliance reporting, et cetera, et cetera, and they made a really big deal about it very often. So, so Eric, my question to you is, how's that going in the real world? I mean, you guys obviously have a business that is uh, basically saying that that's not really working out, so i just love to get some insights on that and what your take is.
3: Well, again, number one, you're monitoring more than just SD-WAN with with a true monitoring solution. So whenever you've got, let's say, like Viptela, who has SD-WAN controller that you can go into and you can look at the performance of your environment, you're not going to get all that additional information. You're not going to get the underlay performance. You're not going to get the flow performance. You're not going to have a good tie-in for thresholding you're not going to have single view dashboards that brings together the overlay, the underlay, the flow, and the thresholding. So usually I see the SD-WAN controllers as a troubleshooting tool. In in other words, when your monitoring system has identified, you have a performance issue somewhere. You may use the SD-WAN controller to dig in a little deeper um, to get more granular and specific. But if If, in fact, you're relying strictly on that SD-WAN controller to provide your performance reporting for SD-WAN, it's probably going to cause you a bit of heartburn and it's going to be hard to track what's going on
0: Do you, as a third-party monitoring tool, or an independent monitoring tool, if you will, do you use any of the data that would come off of, say, a Viptela controller? Is that helpful to you in monitoring to consume some of the metrics that you might be able to get from that?
3: That is the overlay data, right? That's Hmm. what we refer to as the overlay data. We actually pull that from the SD-WAN controller using API REST calls. So what our monitoring solution, DX NetOps, actually has the visibility over Or that overlay comes from the SD-WAN controller. In addition, we SNMP pull that device, we SNMP pull other devices, we also collect SNMP traps. Again, the controller is not going to do all that. But our product, you know, in in fact, I remember when we first set up DXNetOps for monitoring SD-WAN, one of the very first things I did with our initial deployment was to meet with Cisco to compare what Cisco showed on their controller and what we saw in DX NetOps on a per tunnel basis and strategically compared performance that was being reported in the controller and what was being reported in DX NetOps to make sure DX NetOps had the correct information. Again, the advantage something like DX NetOps brings is you can build custom groups, custom reports and custom thresholding that encompasses all the monitoring layers and not just the overlay.
0: Okay, you're getting into my, my next set of questions here is I wanted to understand from an SD-WAN modern perspective how to how to think about it. So you're pulling in tons of metrics from tons of different endpoints. Um, let's call that uh, instrumentation. So in, in your scenario, the scenario we're describing here with SD-WAN, you're aiming your, is it a collector? Is that the right way to think about it? We
3: have a collector that pulls in data from multiple sources. We have what's called performance center or portal that brings all that information together and allows us to build custom groups using various thresholds and various components and metrics. To create custom dashboards that brings all this information together in a strategic form
0: okay what i'm building here then are different views into the sd win so i've got uh, a large sd win uh, thousands uh, of tunnels maybe hundreds of thousands of tunnels but i'm just yes. I'm delivering a view of performance in such a way that I can tell at a glance what's going on. Right. And, and then now walk me through that. Let's say I've got a problem. What am I looking at in the dashboard? What am I going to see that tells me there's a problem? How am I alerted? And then And then what are my next steps?
3: So one of the things that I created in the past using DX NetOps is we created something called a site page. A site page brings all the relevant strategic performance reporting for that particular site. Every site had its own site page. Now, this site page included WAN utilization performance, the underlay stuff, device performance like CPU and interface errors, the also underlay stuff. This site page would include tunnel performance and SLA performance, the overlay stuff. And it would also include flow data. It would bring in the flow so you can see who's talking to whom and what are they doing. And it would include things like IP SLAs that run external of SD-WAN that are also considered an underlay monitoring. What you mean is,
2: you know what's happening inside of the SD-WAN overlay because you're getting that data from flow data. You can see application response time from flow data. But if you want to probe stuff that's outside of the SD-WAN, you set up an SLA probe, right? Which goes out and pings or polls or simulates a, a, a test and then you collect that data.
3: Correct. And, and and that's more generic. SD-WAN mm-hmm. is more specific, right? Tunnel by right, tunnel yeah. performance. The mm-hmm. IPSLAs are a generic way of looking at communicating between a remote site and, say, strategic data center or some other point in your environment. What mm-hmm. we did is we ran IPSLAs that emulated default, untagged, best effort traffic. Another IPSLA operation we would run that would mimic critical application traffic. And another IPSLA that would run that would emulate voice traffic. So we ran up to six IPSLAs from every site to two different data centers on top of what we were getting from the tunnel performance in SD WAN.
0: You said we important. would run. As in, um, did you have some automation where you could log into routers at end sites and uh, and have them automatically deploy these SLAs, or was you were you relying on? The network engineering team to build out the SLAs and deploy them to uh, the end nodes.
3: So our use case in my previous life was that part of the standard build for, say, a core switch included SLAs. So that was just the standard part of the standard build. Yeah, Okay. So every core switch would have a set of IPSLAs operations that would be running and there would be a a responder to strategic or, or, depending on your environment, responders placed in your environment.
0: So easy for you to say, as long as you've got a shop that's uh, deploying IPSLA as a standard part of the device build, good to go. But. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> right,
3: right. Then that's, that's why I say before you go into uh, an SD-WAN yeah. deployment, you want to strategically take a look at your environment. Strategically, you don't have to put IPSLAs everywhere if you don't already have that. But I would definitely encourage some strategic placement of some IPSLA operations from your remote sites to some strategic central point to gauge your performance before you go to SD-WAN, and then again, after you've gone to SD-WAN.
0: We've talked a lot about gathering information, presenting information, Eric, but but another question I have is, what do you do with all the information beyond simply looking at it in this series of awesome dashboards that you've built? Can I set up some kind of um, you know way to react to bad situations, um, doing something with the data that just makes it easier for me as an engineer to, uh, to handle a bad situation.
3: Well, again, that's another benefit of the site pages because you're going to build custom groups that are, that are focused on sites. You're also going to build up thresholds using those custom groups as well. Whenever there's violations of a threshold, an event gets created in DX NetOps, that depending on the severity of that event, the violation, it's going to become an alarm. And whether that alarm, which could be integrated into a service management system, creates an incident that would go directly to the NOC so that even before the NOC even realizes there's a problem, even before the first customer calls, they've received an incident through their service management system that originated from a threshold alarm that was using a custom group in DX NetOps. The other advantage is once the NOC receives that notification in that incident, they go to that site page and everything that related to that site is on that single report page for them to quickly either clear or one of the, one of the big things that people underestimate is how important uh, mean time to innocence is.
2: Not around meantime. here. <laughs> <You> know, well, <laughs> Not no, around here. If you listen to us, we talk about yeah. it all the time. I, because I call a uh, meantime to innocence is, is the, uh, the pointy edge of going home at five o'clock. If, well, you know, it's, it, it, it's not yeah. my fault. I'm going home. Right. <laughs>
3: well, no. And, and I, w- I would say that's kind of a broad way of looking at it. The way I look yeah. at it yeah. is meantime to innocence has to occur before you even get to an MTTR for a restoral. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A- and and my experience is troubleshooting usually means the network team is on the hook until they establish they're not on the hook. Not, hmm. not because they want to go home, but because the right team is not going to get engaged to troubleshoot the problem until the network can clear it. So mm. by, by having a, a mature instrumented solution that's monitoring both the overlay and the underlays, the knot quickly produces visual evidence that the network is working fine between point A and point yeah. B. And, and let's and, get and the right f- team engaged. Yeah, and let's fairly get-
2: quickly, the network starts to get a better reputation because when the networking people say, oh, it's not the network, the people further up the food chain say, "Okay, network is cleared it. we know it's it's something else, and and correct disk. yes. Because today, the, when the network people say oh, it's not us, it still could be. It's just in the past we've never had the right instrumentation, the right visibility. We didn't know application performance data. We didn't know that once it left our network, what happened to it, right? Uh, you right. know, when when we put things in the cloud, does it work? We don't know, right? Because right. the monitoring in the cloud is not ours. It's not our network." and you're still on the hook for the internet performance so then you have to have tools to cover that part of it so that at least you've got a nominal thing to say like oh yeah no there's an internet provider in brazil it's currently down that's why you know any help desk queries from there would be a problem i'm using that as an example but you get the idea
3: right well well i mean let's let's take let's take numbers i would say more than 75% of the time whenever a number of customers at a remote facility is complaining about performance more than 75 percent of the time it's not the network yeah that's right yeah and and, and that means at least 75 percent of the time the right people are not troubleshooting because the network team has to figure out is it them or not and mm-hmm. if they could answer the question in three minutes instead of having to go all these various places like the sd wan and controller tool number a tool number b I, I mean if they could answer the question in three minutes Rather than spending 30 minutes trying to figure out if the network Mm. is good, then the right team gets engaged and their MTTRs will greatly improve Mm. with the proper instrumentation.
2: Let me ask you a slightly weird question here, because this is something I like to throw at people who probably haven't thought about it. But I would say your tool is an automation in a lot of ways, if not an orchestration, right? Because you're taking all of this monitoring and bringing it all together. You're actually automating monitoring in a way instead of doing it the old way. Is that a fair thing to say?
3: I, I would I would call it automation. Um, those mm-hmm. custom groups that are referenced for all of the thresholding and the report views that are built are automatically populated based on rules. As mm-hmm. as long as the, the network team has followed some structure and some discipline in deploying their their environment, mm-hmm. you know, with naming conventions and addressing and as long as there's some discipline there, you could build policies and rules. And and then you have automation. This stuff starts taking the, care of itself.
2: Automation doesn't mean Python or, you know, a platform. Automation can be a SaaS tool like yours. You know, having a pre-built set of uh, event, you know, thresholds and so forth, or knowing when is a flaw or when there's a problem and then some slight configuration. That's automation too in every sense of the word.
0: Yes, yes, it, it is. yes. Now, there's an element to this which is uh, intriguing as far as uh, automation and so on goes. If we take a step back and look at the one of the value propositions of SD-WAN, it's that, hey, as SD-WAN and the controller, I'm monitoring the quality going over all the tunnels and I've got these SLAs mapped to all these applications and I will push traffic through a tunnel that can meet the SLA for a given application. And therefore, you've got some, I mean within the boundaries of how many uh, broadband circuits or MPLS circuits you've got to work with, you've kind of got to guarantee that your application is going to get delivered in accordance with that SLA. So there's an automation there. It's uh, I like to think of it as, as a fancy routing or application-level routing that's going on, that's beyond the normal uh, OSPF and other sort of IGPs we might be using on our networks. Um, so there's that level of automation that can route around problems and so on. So when you're monitoring and dealing with an SD-WAN fabric, how critical is it to be able to deal with the problems that come up in, that, in this context? We've already got some level of magic happening within the SD-WAN fabric that's gonna route around problems.
3: And that's kind of the word that the SD-WAN vendors use, magic. I, I like <laughs> to say tr- trust but verify. <laughs> we, 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 we trust that they're doing what they're supposed to do, but we should verify that they've done what they're supposed to be doing. In addition to notifying you that something's not performing well, if the the broadband circuit at site A is not performing well, the fact that it's going to reroute the traffic is great and that the customer hasn't been impacted, but nobody's working on that problem at site A with that circuit because SD-WAN has magically routed around it. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think you still need a mature instrumented solution both to notify you and provide you ways of seeing the layers of the network to troubleshoot, as well as the notifications that something has occurred or something isn't performing, as well as the oversight. Did SD-WAN reroute that traffic or is that traffic still where those those SLAs are not, those SD-WAN SLAs are not being achieved? Is that still carrying voice, even though it, the SLAs aren't being achieved? Hmm. So that that's where the trust but verify comes in. Yeah. yeah, yeah got you.
2: One thing I don't think we emphasized here is the nature of application monitoring versus network monitoring. Because this is key to your product is you're not just monitoring the network and the flow of packets. You're also able to monitor the application performance. So is my application, uh, 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 is it meeting certain SLAs, right?
3: Well, certain applications are gonna get placed in certain SLAs by configuration of the SD-WAN controller, right? Uh, For example, Viptela's got four SLAs. You have one SLA that's gonna be for voice, let's call it EF. You may have another one that's that's dedicated for critical applications, we'll call it AF. So yes, based on the transport color, we know what the tunnel name will have the transport color and it will have which SLA. Whenever we, we can see the performance, we can gauge tunnel performance based on each of those SLAs, if that's what you mean by application.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I mean, people think about things and it's not just packets and sockets, right? It's not just – it's also about the application performance inside of it so that you can blame the server people or you can blame the the laptop you know, the, or the desktop.
3: Well, again, the performance of SD-WAN is the performance of SD-WAN, not necessarily the performance – of that application server, right? Right.
1: Mm-hmm. right.
3: I mean, that that's another layer. We're talking about layers one through, let's say, four. We can see packet loss, latency, and jitter of the network, and all the way down to that SLA level, which is whether it's voice traffic, critical um, data traffic, or or best effort traffic. Each one's going to have its own unique thresholds that the SD-WAN controller has been configured with for each of those SLAs, and our monitoring system discovers what that criteria is that was set and automatically will put it in our system to report against. So if voice traffic between site A and site B is is taken more than 200 milliseconds, and that's outside the SLA, we know that that SLA is 200 milliseconds. That was set up in the SD-WAN controller. We don't have to go look for it. Our, our system knows that because we've pulled that information down.
0: Yeah, hmm. Eric, you've mentioned uh, the Broadcom product DX NetOps, and one of the things that I wanted to dig into was, was scale. When you get into managing thousands upon thousands of endpoints, uh, a traditional polling engine can struggle under that, and so you end up spreading the workload out across uh, multiple engines to, uh, to, to to handle all of that. Is is DX NetOps... Something like that, where I may have um, multiple engines that are doing polling or gathering telemetry, as the case may be.
3: So yes, DX NetOps is most certainly scalable. That that's usually the problem with a lot of vendors out there trying to produce reports for SD WAN. We have customers that have millions of tunnels. And we're we're reporting metrics on on that information. The company I previously worked for, we were at 1.5 million components we were monitoring, which may sound big, but that's really not that big. But whenever you're talking about a million tunnels, then maybe four million SLAs, depending on their environment. The tool is most certainly scalable.
2: Provably so, right? Would we have a lot of vendors out there who say, oh yes, we scale. But there's not that many vendors who can go out there and say, we're running on this size of a network. So that's a substantial claim.
3: Right, right. We, and, and we have a lot of very large clients out there. In addition to that, I, I will say that the other thing that I really found useful is that we retain the data. For, for example, a company I left, we retained performance data at pull rate for 100 days. And then hourly roll-up data we retained for 400 days. So, again, being able to go back and say, well, it was working fine last month. How is it working this month? But all you can do is produce, you know, a week's worth of data. You're not going to be able to say, well, how did it work last month? So that question gets asked a lot, too, whenever you slowly start having an environment that's degrading and people start complaining, you're like, well, when did this start? So ha- having that, um, that data retention is, is important also.
0: And again, the scale is is enormous here when you start talking about hundreds of thousands or millions uh, of endpoints. Because it's it's not merely gathering the data; it is then also the storing of that data over time, Correct. and Being able to access it quickly and uh, and all of that that is that is a big deal to be able to pull that off.
3: Right, and th- and that's no small feat. It's important to be able to go back and look at your historical data to see what's been going on, um, what happened. Oh, you did an upgrade um last month on the twelfth. Can we go back to the 11th? All oh, was working great. On the 12th, it's not. Oh, you did an upgrade on the 12th? Oh, guess what? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah.
3: So that data retention is important. I had a manager who would want quarter over quarter performance, which was tough, uh, and that drove us to the 400-day data retention for hourly roll-up.
2: Was it useful? I mean, just because that person asked for it doesn't necessarily mean it's a useful thing. I always... Challenge manages to prove why that question is valid. So what's what's the use case there?
3: Well, the use case was to see what the growth potential was in the environment. You know, like, for example, they might be interested in WAN utilization from every one of our sites. So if we have hundreds of sites, they want to know the WAN-facing interfaces, what's the utilization been? And let's compare this week to, say, six months ago that week. And let's, you know, how much traffic are we carrying now compared to then? Um, or, or there may be seasonal traffic. For example, um, in the healthcare industry, there's something called open, open enrollment periods. You know where mm-hmm. where insurance companies and the government has open enrollment periods for insurance. You know you you want to be you want to know that you're prepared to take that additional load. Okay. So you, hmm. you you might want that information too. So, uh, but I will admit, um, as we all probably know, leadership asks for a lot of things that they can't consume. So mm, yeah, that that's yeah. true too. It doesn't mean that they're not going to ask for. Yeah, it.
2: I mean it's a demonstration <laughs> of flexibility of the product, but it's also a demonstration that I wanted to sort of make that a realistic because sometimes people say things and you go like, "That sounds outrageous. Why would you want that?" But you made a good point. I mean, there's a reason there,
3: right? Yeah. And and, right. and they wouldn't want they wouldn't want that quarter over quarter detail on yeah. everything. They're going to be focused on like WAN facing interfaces yeah. or. How much traffic are we actually carrying? Things around that.
0: Well, gentlemen, we are coming up on the end of this podcast, which has been, uh, frankly, I have enjoyed this discussion because it's one thing to set up a monitoring uh, station for whatever. It's another when you add SD-WAN to the mix. It's yet another when you need to do large scale SD-WAN and all the considerations around that and the value and so on. So this has been a great discussion. Uh, Jeremy, we haven't heard from you for a bit, and I wanted to know if you had any wrap-it-up sort of thoughts, uh, some uh, some closing thoughts for the audience.
1: I just want to make sure that, you know, all the great stories that Eric was telling, it, it involves so much collected data, you know, fault performance flow, alarms, events, underlay, overlay, comparing this information to other multi-vendor technologies in someone's data center that may be a part of the entire SD-WAN path. Can you imagine how many point solutions it would take to do all of that uh the time it would take to go to each administrative console and and correlate data manually you know one of the biggest things i'm so proud of uh being with broadcom and ca technologies prior is you know for 30 plus years we have been trying to solve what is um a one stop shop for complete network health and visibility and um, you know i'm proud to say that we've done it so well over the years and as networks get more complex and more noise, right? It's in- imperative that we help our customers this way. So, you know, we talked about a lot of bits and bytes and all, but all those bits and bytes are collected and surfaced in one place for our customers. And that's what we're most proud of.
0: Yeah. It's funny. You said, can you imagine having to deal with all these separate tools? No, I don't mm-hmm. have to imagine it, Jeremy. I have lived <laughs> through that. There's right. as, as so many people that are listening exactly. to the show. I'm sure have been there. Exactly. One tool to rule them all has always been the Holy mm-hmm. grail. So for any, anything like that, that gets us there is, uh, is a good thing. Uh, Eric, a question over to you. Um, a lot of the questions that and discussion points that we had in this show were related to a white paper that, or a case study that Broadcam was published with a, an IT infrastructure provider called Kindrel. Did you have any other comments or insights to mention about that, uh, that document?
3: Yeah, that white paper is a good example of, I think we talked about a, a, a site page, a page that's focused on a site and using custom groups and automation to populate that site page. Um, so that white paper goes into some detail about what a site page could be. Um, your organization can take some or, or all of that white paper as a source of something that may, you may find useful in developing strategically developing your solution and your site page. But um, yeah, that white paper is, is a good example of that reporting and custom groups and also keep in mind, whenever you have a, a dashboard that you create, you can also create thresholds around that same dashboard. Yeah, I, I think that's a good white paper to reference and, and and take from that white paper, whatever works well for your organization.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's a short one, uh, audience that uh, listens. I read it in preparation for this podcast in, uh, you know, 20 minutes or so, six pages and uh, a lot of screenshots that help you visualize the products that were employed and so you can kind of imagine if I'm a network engineer actually working with this product, what am I going to see? How am I going to interact with the data? It gives you a quick overview of uh, of all of that stuff. Well, Jeremy Rossback and Eric Custer, thank you very much for joining us on Packet Pushers Heavy Networking today. And, and guys, we thank Broadcom for being a repeat sponsor of the Heavy Networking podcast and the Packet Pushers. We really appreciate that. Uh, As all you out there in the audience know, or I think you know, we are full time here at Packet Pushers Interactive and the sponsors who share deeply nerdy content with IT engineers make that possible. So again, thank you Broadcom and thanks to you for listening all the way to the end. If you check out Broadcom's network monitoring tools based on what you heard today, be sure to let them know that you heard about them on Packet Pushers. Now, many of you guys know us for podcasts, but that is not all we offer here at Packet Pushers. Visit packetpushers.net to subscribe to our free newsletter, leave your feedback on our follow-up page, join our Slack group, and read articles by and for industry professionals just like you. If you're a social human, we are all in on LinkedIn here in 2023 as we slowly steer away from the dumpster fire that is Elon X or whatever the heck he's calling it today. We'll be improving our LinkedIn presence over time, so be sure to follow our company page as well as all the hosts from our podcast family. You can find all those hosts with their bios and LinkedIn links at packetpushers.net slash hosts. Last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.